0: I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast. An introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, Brian here. And this is episode one of Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast. Uh, let's see. I saw... Thanks for the people who were listening to episode zero... Uh, I wanted to put that out just to introduce the podcast and let everybody know what it's about. And now this is going to be the first one. Hopefully in a long line of episodes. So, let's see. Um, Of course, in the beginning of the show, this is where any emails to the show I will read and uh, answer or debate or whatever comes up. You know, compliments, criticisms, what have you. So, without any of those, let's go to the arcade rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Okay. This one is an overview of all the arcades I used to go to when I was growing up in Connecticut. Um, I was born and raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And as I said in episode zero, my addiction to video games started pretty much from a young age, probably about the age of six, and just exploded exponentially once I found an arcade in my local mall. From there, I started wandering. I had a, pendant, excuse me, a tendency to wander anyway. Um, if I was brought somewhere with an adult, be it my mother, an aunt... Or an uncle or something like that. If what was going on with them wasn't capturing my interest, I would start to wander. Or at least try to figure out how I could get out of the house to start wandering. Kind of dangerous in the 1970s, but I turned out okay. Um, When I first started going to arcades, I was about the age of nine, I think maybe even 10 when I started going regularly. And from there, uh, just hanging out in the arcade, playing games and getting to know the regulars who were mostly middle to upper class kids who, of course, had a whole lot of money. And if a new game came out, they would just drop a good $5, sometimes $10, you know, on a particular machine and they would just hog it all day um but as i you know got to know them they would tell me about other places that had arcade games and once i found out about those places i would figure out or try to figure out ways of getting to them uh and the lengths i'd go to were pretty far afield if you will i would walk Bum rides off of family members, borrow friends' bikes, ride, if I had a bike of my own, I would ride it out there, Um, take the bus any way that I could get to this place because I wanted to see what was going on. I considered Trumbull Mall my home base, if you will. I lived about two miles away from it, and I would take the bus there and walk there. I would hang out in the arcade and... After a while, if I, when I ran out of money or if I just want to kind of get away from it for a minute and kind of, you know, regroup a little bit, I'd walk the mall or hang out in the other stores. Um, There was a mall in downtown Bridgeport called Lafayette Plaza at the time, which changed later to the High Hole Mall. And now it's a, uh, I believe it's a uh, community college now, but um, back in the day. Uh, That place for a little while, I want to say maybe about, I'd say maybe six months, Uh, that mall also had an arcade. Uh, Let's see, the News Corner, which was also in downtown Bridgeport, um, that of course was a newsstand and they had one place right next to the comic books and across from the magazines. They always usually had a row of video games, I would go there spanky's arcade that was my second uh base of operations if i wasn't in trouble mall arcade chances are i was at spanky's uh wizards which was right down the street from spanky's um that one it was an interesting arcade but there wasn't a lot of uh business in that one i mean spanky's had it over him but i'm gonna go into more detail Uh, in this particular segment as the podcast goes on. Um, Connecticut Post Mall Arcade. That was in Milford. Um, I found out about that arcade, I want to say, just before uh, I started to go to uh, private school in Milford. Um, That one, it was a pretty good arcade and a pretty decent mall. Uh, Milford Rec, which was about a mile up the street from Connecticut Post Mall. And that was the Mecca. That was the largest arcade in the region. Um, there were a couple that came close, but this place, at the height of its powers, had, I want to say, at least 150 machines. Just, I'm just thinking about it. Um, I'll go into further detail in a future episode, but that that place was wonderful and I was really really sad when I found out that it had closed down in what was it I think what 2004 I think it finally shut down which is a pretty good run because I think they were in existence from like I want to say nineteen eighty one, eighty 80 or 81 something like that and all the way up to 2004 when they finally closed down uh Arnie's Place in Westport um, that was another place I liked a whole lot, but I didn't get to a lot. The only time I could get out there was either if I planned it, um, that required taking two buses to get out there and then walking another mile, uh, down the post road to get to the place. Um, I used to hang out there when I was, uh, hanging out with my buddy Mark. I'd, you know, I'd meet him at Trumbull Mall, and we'd go to probably Spanky's or uh, Milford Wreck, sometimes Arnie's Place. Um, Arnie's Place is somewhat infamous in the town of Westport, as I found out, and I'll go into that into further detail uh, in this segment. Um, A little-known place in Orange, which is further east up the post road from Milford Wreck. I only went to the place maybe three times. But it was a pretty decent arcade. It was a place called Gompers. And I remember um, hanging out with my buddy Mark and uh, the crew he used to run with. And they would, you know, find new machines or hear about new machines. And they'd pile in their cars and they'd drive over there and play them. And lastly, uh, Showcase Cinemas. That is a movie theater that figured pretty strongly in my childhood um that's in also in orange which is the next town over from Milford um and the showcase cinemas oh my goodness i want to say they started out with two theaters something like that and they just kept expanding outward i think they went high as high as 14 movie theaters but in a video game stamp Um, In Video Game Sense, um, that place had these wonderful little machines in their lobby. And once again, you know, as the podcast goes, um, I'll uh, regale some uh, stories and some uh, memories I have of these places. So, you know, that'll be it for the arcade rundown. And we're going to go on to time to use some strategy. to use some strategy now um i'm going to be talking about the book how to master the video games by tom hirschfeld but i'll give a little bit of uh, backstory if you will uh, about 1981 when video games really started blowing up in 1981 donkey kong came out um a whole bunch of different games came out. Eighty to eighty one was like the explosion. Um, if it the ball got rolling with Space Invaders in seventy eight and went through with Galaga in eighty and excuse me, seventy nine and Pac-Man in nineteen eighty, that was when the video games really started to take off in nineteen eighty and eighty one, or at least in my experience. Um of course, you know, uh, being, you know, hanging out the arcade a lot, I picked up some pointers from some people how to play certain games, but they're most of the kids that frequented the place that, you know, I kind of got to know through hanging out the arcade. They weren't exactly forthcoming with tips and so forth. More often than not, they would just stay silent and (laughs) <laughs> jeer me as I tried to figure a game out, and I couldn't quite grok it, and I would just my game would end quickly, and you know they' practically shoved me out of the way so they could get to it, you know having two three dollars and quarters to uh play these games so um if i wasn't if i was in the if I was in the mall and i wasn't in the arcade. I was in one of the two, uh, bookstores in the arcade. Uh, one was Walden books, of course, that was on the main level, which was a level above where the arcade was. And then right across from the arcade, there was a B Dalton book beast. And I used to hang out in those places all the time when either I ran out of money in the arcade, or if I was just bumming out in the arcade and just watching people play and uh the uh guy who ran it this uh italian guy named um carlo who was a really nice guy but yeah if i was hanging out too much he'd just shoot me out of there so that's when i would just walk the mall and you know go other places and look at stuff and go to the bookstores and read and one of the things i ran across was in about 1981 I think these books started coming out in right in that area and I used to just look at you know just look at these books and I would pick up tips and then I would you know try to see if these tips actually worked in the games they were talking about um I bought oh god how many three of these books between the years of 81 and 83 And, um, to supplement that, my aunt also bought me a subscription to, uh, electronic games, uh, monthly magazine. That was when it first came out. And, you know, I got tips about, you know, various games and more often than not, the tips worked. So that also sort of had me on the lookout for these strategy books. You know, they were your basic uh, paperback novels. You know, about 150 to 200 pages, but they were pretty much packed with information. And I'm going to talk about one of them here, which is How to Master the Video Games by Tom Hirschfeld. And I read this thing cover to cover at least like three or four times before I actually just broke down and bought it. But It was a just a godsend in trying to get better at these games. And with me not having as much, you know, not having a lot of money, being, you know, oh, God, in 81, I was, what, 12? So, you know, being a 12-year-old and not quite, you know, being able to, you know, have access to, you know, being able to, you know, have money to go to these places. So... This book is just jam packed full of information. Um, I have a physical copy, but it's in storage right now. So I looked on the internet and I actually found a, an electronic copy. And I forgot just how well this book is laid out. Uh, in the table of contents, it gives you the for beginners only, which is, you know. Um, Give you the introduction, which gives like a little bit of a history of video gaming up to that point in 1981 and also the author's personal perspective about some of the games that he played and how he would come up with these strategies. Um, then he breaks down uh, in actually good detail. Uh, each one of these games has a diagram on on the, of the actual gaming screen on the page with all the parts labeled and then we'll give you an explanation of the controls, the scoring system, the direct threats of the player, what would end the game, and his personal observations and strategies about those games. Then he broke it down into five categories. Uh, Space Invaders type machines, asteroid type games, maze games, reflex games, and miscellaneous. Um, All of the you, all these space invaders machines are based pretty much uh in the same sort of um same sort of genre as space invaders is um and i'll be talking about space invaders in our final segment so he explains the controls you know he explains you know, um all of the you know just all the various threats to the to you who's playing the game and then he breaks it down into uh various he breaks down into um several uh personal descriptions like uh know your enemy which means you know um he sort of breaks it down into actual how video games actually work he goes into ram and rom and uh random event generators and and talking about microprocessors and things like that which was look as a 12 year old I barely understood what they meant he explained them pretty much pretty well but most of it kind of went over my head and I didn't think too much about it but yeah he sort of just uh explains it to you know just explains you know what a video game does and how the play, you know, how the play goes. The second one's to Know Your Enemy, which means to kind of study the actual game in attract mode and watch other people play it, you know, because he breaks that down also into seven steps of mastery. First one's Reconnaissance. Um, he basically says to before you even put a quarter into a game uh, to sort of watch the attract mode and look at least at like five sample bouts of a game, meaning someone else to, you know, to watch someone else play it or watch a bunch of people play it several times before you even throw a quarter in and start playing it, which is actually good advice. (laughs) Kind of saves you money. Uh, Second one is teamwork. Um, he says, once you've selected a game to try, you need a friend, uh, to kind of help you through it, you know, uh, friend, you know, he should take notes about the game and give, you know, constructive criticism and advice and so forth. And I ha I kind of had that from several people who were, uh, arcade regulars, who weren't, you know, pricks. <laughs> so, you know, I used to get little tips about the game. I would ask constantly. I would be constantly soaking up information from those who are actually receptive to, uh, telling, into, you know, giving me these hints about the games that they've, uh, they've, uh, gleaned from their own play or asking other people. Uh, concentration, which is pretty self-explanatory. Let's see, tempo, which is to figure out how the game plays and to get its rhythms, which is actually a very, very underrated piece of advice because kind of figuring out not so much what's going on on the screen, but actually how the game plays, you know, can kind of help you get better at a particular game and i'm just thinking about it uh the rhythm of donkey kong is much different than the rhythm of pac-man which is much bit different than the rhythm of defender and being able to kind of settle yourself into what the game is doing can lead you to actually kind of get into a bit of a flow state and be able to actually just play the game with a pretty high level of competency you know once you figure out what's going on um observation uh if you see something happen on the screen remember it and i this this one i still hold to this day because i when i'm go to like the arcade in brighton and i'm playing all these games you know that i've been playing since i was like 10, 11, 12 years old, I remember some of the things that happened and the muscle memory kicks in and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I actually remembered that. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, yeah, observation. The sixth one is experimentation, which that one I didn't go very far into because I was on such a limited budget being, you know, poor kid. So, mm-hmm. You know that's when I would go back to um talking to people and asking about this, that, or the other thing, and just going from there and even go into one of the uh most the most famous case of a successful experimentation was figuring out how to get in space invaders to get the u f o for three hundred points. I remember that because I think in like 79 or 80 um, just that secret went around. And basically what it is, is that I'll explain it later in Space Invaders, but basically you have to fire your cannon a certain number of times and hit the alien on the very last number in the sequence and you always got 300 points, which is very instrumental in in how high of a score you get but anyway so the seventh point is memorization and yeah that's one that goes along with observation it's if you notice something in a game that either you can exploit or something that you can possibly you know key into to increase your score in a game it it's always good to commit it to memory um i mean i was playing uh sea quest on the 2600 that's my one of my favorite 2600 games of all time if it's not number one it is certainly top three and it's a fantastic game by activision you should check it out if you don't already have it or know about it um but i just playing it I just remember almost everything about it. I remember how to draw... Basically, it's a rescue game where you're a submarine in this underwater environment and you're basically... You have to rescue divers that are being pursued by sharks. And if sharks go off the screen from one side to the other... They'll come back on the other side as submarines, which will go across the screen and fire torpedoes as they go. And you can basically, more often than not, you can shoot the submarines and more divers will come out on the level where the submarine is. And then you can get uh, the six divers you need to finish the level and go on to the next one. And just I remember all that stuff. I mean, Pfft, Sequest came out in 1983. At this point, I'm what 15, and no, 14. I'm 14, and it it just came back to me as if I'm 14 years old again, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So yeah, um, he goes through these points, and he you know he says as you once you've used all seven of these uh methods to on the game that you choose you'll find that you'll be getting good at the game and you'll be on your way towards mastering it and he's right and it's just a you know I i just love how he breaks that down and then he starts going into the various games so yeah it starts with the space invaders type games uh Astro Blaster, Astro Fighter, Centipede, Galaxian, Gorf, Mooncresta, Phoenix, Pleiades, Space Invaders, Space Invaders Part 2. And that's a pretty good uh cross section of Space Invaders type games, even though there are like dozens more. Um I've noticed an, I've noticed that in emulation, especially in seventy-eight, and I'll be getting into that when I get into my first uh, segment for top tens, which will be top 10, uh, my personal top 10 video games in 1978. And yeah, a lot of them, most are going to be space invaders games or type games. So that's a really good cross section. I've played all of those and I've gotten good at several. Uh, the second ones are asteroid type games. And I think what he means by that is that it's more of a, free flight game that you can basically send your ship or whatever it is to any, almost any point on the screen, uh, with the exception of a few that I'm seeing in here. The, the games he covers are Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, Defender, Scramble, Space Fury, Space Odyssey, and Star Castle. That's pretty decent, uh, cross section, although, um, I think he released this book before Stargate came out, but that's in another book, which I'll cover in a future, a future episode. Uh, Maze games, armor attack, berserk, Pac-Man, rally X, Targ, venture and wizard of war, which are good. Those are, that's another good cross section. I mean, Pac-Man being the, the standout game in that, uh, in that group of games, reflex games, Monaco GP, Sky Raider, and Space Zap. And that's the funny part. I actually got to play Space Zap for the first time I think since oh my goodness I think that's the first time I ever played it um, at the arcade in Brighton um, a couple of years ago. Uh, let's see. The Miscellaneous Games. Uh, Battle Zone Crazy Climber Missile Command and i can kind of understand it cuz those three games don't really fit into any of the other categories um and then he goes into off machine exercises which something that i used to always do which was to stretch your fingers out and to uh you know stretch your wrists and the tendons in your you know forearms and even going as far as stretching the tendons in your elbows, which will keep you from getting injured. Because, yes, you can get injured playing these games too much. <laughs> I've done it. You know, God only knows how many times what comes to mind is playing a stand-up version of Spy Hunter. And I was actually really good at the game at one point. And the problem is is that when you play it for too long, you have to use your a foot to... Uh, control the speed of the car in Spy Hunter and the problem is is that you're shifting most of your weight onto your other foot in order to be able to use the pedal with any sort of uh, dexterity and I remember one time I played that game for a couple of hours straight and I just remember walking home that night and I was limping for a good portion of the walk home because you know I played that game for too long Another one at this day is playing Star Wars and it's basically you have a control yoke controlling your X-wing fighter and you have four fire buttons, two triggers and two buttons on the yoke and you're while you're moving around moving the sight around trying to either, you know, or trying to shoot at targets, you know, I find that playing that my fingers start to get start to hurt. But that's also something that I need to do is to take a couple minutes and stretch out before I go in there, especially because of an old man. But anyway, that's enough of that. Um, so yes, this is one of those books that if you can find the electron version, I think, um, I think you can find it on, uh, Amazon in, uh, electronic format, and also in physical format. I think they, they still sell copies. And there are other places you can get it as well. Ababooks, uh, com is a good place to find older, out-of-print books for cheap. I've found quite a few uh, books that I've wanted or I've had since I was a kid, but I've lost and I've found them again. So uh, that will do for time for some strategy. And we will go on to our last segment of the show, which is, Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, babe, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying like red-arsed stomach the chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for I'm this not shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. not too old for this I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cut. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Space Invaders. <laughs> yeah, this one is the game that really, really started it all. I remember... Uh I had found the arcade in the mall um in i wanna say spring of seventy eight spring or early summer of seventy eight but all I know is is that that there wasn't uh a Speeder, space invaders machine when I found it. It was all mostly atari games um you know games from like you know I couldn't even begin to think about the rundown of the games but it was mostly um you know games of the day like uh, Sprint 8 or uh or um Starship 1 and things and games like that and of course you had you know your obligatory 10 to 12 uh pinball machines in the arcade then i just remember one day i came in there and I, this is before i was going in there regularly i think i started going to the mall at a regular basis when i was like 9 maybe 10 somewhere in that area but um i remember all of a sudden there was just people just crowded around this one game and me i just basically would just kind of worm my way in there and kind of get on the side of the machine and just look in at it and it was Space Invaders and you know you had I mean it this. there was just nothing like it the game more or less printed money I wouldn't be surprised if that one game paid the monthly rent for that storefront <laughs> for at least a couple of months probably longer um so to give you just a little bit of background information, uh, Space Invaders is an arcade game crea- created by Tomohiro Nishikado and released in 1978. It was manufactured and sold by Taito in Japan and licensed in the United States by the Midwave division of Bally. Space Invaders is one of the earliest shooting games. The aim is to defeat waves of aliens with a laser to earn as many points as possible. And... You know, uh I'm pulling this off of Wikipedia of course and the numbers that this game pulled in are staggering. By nineteen eighty two, the game had been out for four years, hit a gross two billion dollars. That's in nineteen seventy eight money. It basically said that it two billion in seventy eight money is like seven point five billion in twenty eighteen money. And it's absolutely that's that's crazy to think about it it's the best selling video game and highest grossing video game i believe of all time and it was just one of those games that it just ha- always had somebody playing it i think by 1983 you know go, late 82 going in 83 when there were more attractive games out there and more more challenging games out there were people really starting to go away from Space Invaders, that much I remember. But, when sh- like I said, when it showed up at the Trumbull Mall Arcade, just everybody was playing it. I played it every once in a while. I didn't really get good at it until probably about 1981 or so. By that time, all the secrets of the game had been revealed, and once you knew the secrets, then, you know, you could basically just rack, you know, just basically rack up a really good score on the game. I'm trying to remember what my highest score was. I want to say it was like, oh, I'd say probably like 6,000 or something. But, um, where, but in 1978, this was the game that really, really kicked it off. I mean, I've always said that. I've always believed that without even looking up the information on the internet. And, you know it's nice to know that what i what I felt and what I thought at the time was absolutely right. Everything changed when space invaders came out um first thing it did it spawned a ton of space invaders clones i mean not so not so much clones, but it was they were based off the model I mean Galaxian, which was a successful game in its own right, which came out in seventy nine That's a Space Invaders clone because it takes the basic concepts of Space Invaders and just uh, gives it a twist. And as I was looking through um, a bunch of uh, games and emulation, there were tons and tons and tons of Space Invaders clones to the point where they would have a game that was pretty much Space Invaders, but they would change some of the changed the looks of the aliens in the game and they call it something else, but it was Space Invaders. <laughs> um let's see. Oh, uh, let's see. Um I remember like I said, every place had a Space Invaders machine. Um Trumble Mall Arcade had one. I believe that the arcade in the uh Lafayette Plaza had one. I believe for a while uh news corner had one. I think the train station the Bridgeport train station had one. I'm I'm certain of for a little while. And then uh a local diner in you know in my neck of the woods, Galaxy Diner, they didn't have one, they had two. Um they were both um oh what do they call? Them? Yeah, they were both uh um cabarets as a matter of fact they even had no i take that back they didn't have cabarets they had tabletops which was interesting i think they got those directly from japan because they had they were they were taito machines they weren't uh bally midway machines um so yeah i mean it was just one of those games where it was everywhere and everybody wanted to play it I mean I found I thought for a long time I think there was a story that basically Japan had run out of 100 yen coins but as it turns out that's uh, a myth um they basically said they, you know, basically what it is is that Japan just did not print as many 100 uh yen coins which is like the equivalent of 25 cents here um they didn't print that many coins, that's why there was a shortage, and, you know, I always thought that, you know, it was a pretty cool story, but, you know, I was a little disappointed to find out it wasn't true, so, um, yeah, so, I just remember just playing this game, you know, when I played the game, and I figured out, you know, or not even figured out, I was shown all of the tricks, uh, the first one was that, you had to fire 22 shots and hit the saucer on the 22nd shot to get 300 points because otherwise it would go between, was it 50, 100, 150, and 300 points. And it was I think it was completely random unless you hit that 22nd shot. That was for the first saucer. The second saucer, I think it was 18 shots and you had to hit it on the 18th. And so on and so forth until, of course, you're, the aliens had gotten so low on the screen that you had to pretty much deal with them and end the wave. And then it would start over. And, of course, the aliens start lower um, and then lower still. And then I think on the fourth set of aliens, you don't have the... Um, Bases that you can hide under anymore to protect yourself from enemy fire. Um, So at this point, you had to be really good figuring out where you were going and being able to either anticipate or dodge the enemy shots. Because not only are they coming more often, they're coming from a lower point on the screen where the aliens are. Um, the best thing you had to, you the easiest way to just beat space invaders was to once you got past like the third wave or fourth wave if you were really good, maybe in fifth wave if you're really good, was to set it up so you had a group of four levels of aliens on one you know four on one side and then two spaces over you have one alien on the top level and then you would just let them come down and they would be like right over your ship. And once they are there, they can fire their shots all they want and they can't kill you. And then you can just kill them there. And, you know, you would just do that and it just made things easier if it was a little nerve wracking, because of course, if the any alien gets down to the level where your where your base is the game is instantly over you don't lose a life it doesn't matter how many lives you have left once they get down to that level game over you're done so you know you had to be really good in timing your fire especially when you were dealing with the last two levels of enemies especially the last the last row when you had five enemies you had to kill, and each one you killed, the enemies move faster, and if you missed, that was pretty much it. So you had to be really good with your with your fire control. So, you know, that's, you know, Space Invaders. I mean, yeah, I mean, I played that game, I played my share of it, and even after it had fallen out of favor, um, if... You know, I was walking home from the mall and, of course, walking down Main Street, you go right by the Galaxy Diner. You know, if I had a quarter and I had the Inkling, I'd go in there and play Space Invaders for a little bit. You know, just, you know, just for the hell of it. So, you know, those are most of, those are my memories for the most part. And, you know, that's how this segment's going to be. And, you know, it's more, you know, just memories that I have and maybe a memory will trigger something else and I'll talk about that and so on and so forth so that'll be that'll be it for Space Invaders um now if you want to you know drop an email about any of the segments that you've heard or if you have your own stories or any other things you want to say you know any crit any uh criticisms praises whatever you have just send them to arcadeaddictbrian@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's all one word. And also, I have a phone number for you to call and leave a voicemail. And that number is, if I can find my notes, there it is. It is 734-743-2433. So that's it for episode one of Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. I'll be coming back with episode two shortly. And until then, this is Brian. Have fun, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast.